Chapter 5 It had been two months since Gunhild's father had gone raiding. Now it was midsummer. Life had returned to normal after her family's return from Ripa. She did chores and occasionally played with Rolf, though his games weren't very interesting to her. When she had free time, she might play a board game with her mother or Aunt Inga, because Rolf wasn't very good at them. But Inga and Thorvi seemed distracted and didn't play more than one game in a row. Much of the time she went on walks and daydreamed. One thing she missed with having her father gone was his stories. He knew more stories and was better at telling them than anyone else. With him gone, Gunhild often found herself telling stories to Rolf. She had heard many over the years and remembered most of them easily. When she didn't, she made bits up. She told the story of the young man who saves a mouse, which later helps him win the hand of the king's daughter, and the story of the boy who steals treasure from a troll. Yet even she got tired of storytelling sometimes. One hot afternoon Gunhild was doing the washing, which was her least favorite chore. She had to haul many buckets of water from the creek and heat them on the fire, wash the clothes in hot water, wring them out, then hang them, and her hands always suffered for it. She tried singing while she washed, but it was too tiring to keep up, and she would stop halfway through a verse and not start up again. It was in the middle of this difficult work and sour mood that without warning she saw her father coming home. It was so unexpected that she almost found herself wondering, why is he here? But then she realized that he was returning from the raid, and he was home to stay. Father, she cried, and ran to him. He shouted, Gunhild, and quickened his pace. But he was still a hundred yards away, and Gunhild noticed as she ran that he had someone walking behind him, a girl, it looked like, about her age. She slowed as she reached him, confused at the stranger walking with her father, and instead of jumping into his arms as she had planned, she waited for him to finish the last few steps to her. Gunhild, he bellowed, and when he threw his arms around her, she felt her throat catch and her eyes well up from having missed him. Nevertheless, she couldn't ignore the girl who now stood watching them. Father, who is this? she asked, wondering if she would be introduced to a neighbor or a distant cousin. I'll tell you everything, he said, grinning. There's so much to tell. Let's find your mother first. Gunhild walked with him back to the house, where Rolf, Thorvi, and Inga were coming out of the door. I'm home, Kettle bellowed, throwing his arms wide, and then noticing Thorvi's belly began to shout, You're pregnant! By all the gods, you're pregnant! How far along are you? Thorvi hugged him and cried a little too, then stepped back to look up at him. I'm so glad you're home safely, she said. Then her expression changed as she looked at the girl, who had still not said a word. Who is this? she asked. You won't believe it, said Kettle. At the last village we raided, we took captives, at least twenty of them. We brought them home, except for one who got sick. The Jarl sold most of them to some traders out of Ripa. Ragnolf kept one for himself, and I brought this one home. He grinned at his good fortune. We have a captive? asked Thorvi. A slave, said Kettle. A thrall. She's going to cook and clean and milk the cows. It'll be perfect. And you need the extra help now, since you're... He looked her up and down, beaming, then spontaneously hugged her again, then turned to Rolf. Rolf, my boy, he said, hugging his son. Then he and Rolf began to talk, and Thorvi, Inga, and Gunhild were left looking at each other and the silent girl in front of them. The girl was a little shorter than Gunhild and much thinner. Her skin was pale and freckled, and her hair was light blonde. She stared at the ground, and Gunhild could tell she was trembling a little. 
Gunhild looked back at her mother and could see that Thorvi was unmistakably glaring at the girl. "'I guess we have a slave now,' said Thorvi. "'I have to say I wasn't expecting this.' "'She can help with the chores,' said Inga. "'I have no doubt,' said Thorvi, still sour. Kettle was in deep conversation with Rolf. Both were very excited. "'What's her name?' Thorvi asked. Kettle didn't hear. "'Kettle!' she snapped. He looked at her. "'What is her name?' Kettle furrowed his brow, as if wondering why it mattered, then walked over to the girl. "'You!' he said, bending down to her and pointing right at her chest. "'Your name!' he said. "'What are you called?' He looked back at his wife. "'She's English,' he said, almost apologetically. "'She doesn't understand anything.' He turned back to her and pushed his finger into her chest. You, he shouted, name, your name. Yadith, said the girl in a small voice. There, said Kettle, pleased. Yadith, you do chores, you help. Then he walked back to his wife, and they both went back to the house with Inga and Rolf. Gunhild found herself alone with the girl, and wasn't sure what to do next. She looked at her new slave. Yadith glanced up. I'm Gunhild, she said, putting her open hand to her chest. Yadith nodded silently. Gunhild wanted to go in the house, too, to talk to her father and hear about his adventures, but something about the house seemed suddenly uncomfortable. Besides, she had washing to finish. Here, she said to Yadith, handing her a wet underdress. Ring it out like this. Taking another wet dress, she twisted until the water dribbled onto the ground, then shook it out. Yadith did the same easily. Gunhild hung the dress over the wooden frame where the clothes dried. Now you hang it, she told Yadith. Yadith hung her dress next to Gunhild's and took another from the wash bucket. Can you understand me? asked Gunhild, looking into Yadith's eyes for a hint that she did understand. The girl just looked back at her blankly, then wrung out another dress. Gunhild didn't know what else to say, so they finished the washing together and then went inside, Yadith following silently. Kettle was in high spirits that night at dinner as he told the family how he and the Jarl's crew sailed for a week across open water. They found some uninhabited coastline and hunted for food, then kept moving, looking for towns to plunder. Once they followed a river upstream and found a small village, but it had no treasure. "'Why didn't it have treasure?' asked Rolf. "'It was just a bunch of farmers,' said his father. For the good treasure, you need a hall of some nobleman or one of their churches. What's a church? asked Rolf. It's a temple to the English god, replied Kettle. Anyway, that village didn't have anything good, so we burned it and went back downstream. During this time, Yadith sat in a corner on the floor. She had her knees drawn up under her chin. Where did Yadith come from? Gunhild asked. I'm getting to that part, said Kettle excitedly. That was the last place we raided. Oh, Inga, is there more of that pork? Did you fight anyone? asked Rolf. Oh, yes, said Kettle. We saw one village from afar and saw that there was a great hall, so maybe some Jarl or rich landowner lived there. We sailed back out to sea and waited until night. Then we sailed back in. The guards saw us as we were landing and raised the alarm, but they weren't ready, and they were still running around trying to find weapons as we rushed the hall. By Thor, great deeds were done that day, and fierce fighting, and your old father was right there in the middle of it. 
Rolf stared wide-eyed at his father as he described the men he had killed in battle, miming the way he had swung his axe and ducked behind his shield. Then he recited the verse he had written about it afterward. No fear showed I, faced by foemen, but swinging bravely smote their shields, breaking bones and bringing glory to Odin and Thor Thundermaker. And did they have treasure? asked Rolf. Some, said his father, but we had twenty men, and after the Jarl took his cut we had to share out the rest, so it wasn't much. The real prize was the great church. Kettle told of how a week after their big battle they had spotted the tower of a church and knew they had found the right spot. They could see the church behind a big round wooden fence, and there was a small village outside the wall. They stormed the village and made for the gates expecting guards to come fight. The gates weren't even locked, laughed Kettle. We walked right in. When the people saw us, they screamed and ran, and there weren't even any soldiers. And when we went inside the church, oh, the gold and silver. And then in back, in a chest, there were thousands of silver coins. The Jarl gave us two hundred each. He dug in a pouch that hung from his belt and pulled out some of the coins. They had a man's face on the front, a king with a crown, and around the edges were letters. Gunhild had never seen this many coins before. Anyway, after we emptied the church, we lined up the townsfolk and stripped their jewelry too. Some of them had some pretty nice things. So, I have for you... He dug in his pouch again and pulled out a silver cloak pin. It was a ring of beautifully twisted silver wire crossed by a stick pin to hold a cloak or blanket. For you, little cat, he said to Gunhild. Then he turned to Rolf. For you, a dagger worthy of a young warrior. He handed Rolf a small knife with a bone handle. It was held in a leather sheath. Tomorrow we'll sharpen it up and see how it does, he said. Then he gave Inga a ring and finally turned to Thorvi. I made sure to get this one for you. When I saw it, I knew you had to have it. It was a brooch, with colored enamel making shapes of red, green, and blue, outlined by thin lines of gold. Gunhild had never seen enameled jewelry before, and the way the colors caught the light of the hearth fire took her breath away. It was the most beautiful piece of jewelry she had ever seen. Kettle handed it to Thorvi with a smile. For you, my love, he said. I missed you. After dinner, they gave Yadith the leftovers. Then Thorvi put a blanket on the floor and took Yadith by the arm and pointed to the blanket, indicating that she was to sleep there. Yadith nodded, but afterward went to the door of the house and began to walk outside. Kettle walked over to her and pushed the door closed again. No, he said. You stay here, understand? You sleep here, he pointed. It's beta they, she said. It's Shalgana. It's no good talking to me, Kettle chuckled. I can't understand a word you say. Ichbidathe, said Yadith, beginning to look panicked. Her voice faltered. It's Shalgana. She looked around at the others in the house, as if searching for something. Ich Shalminya, she said. Then seeing Kettle stare down at her, uncomprehending, she squatted down on her haunches and looked up at him meaningfully. Kettle burst out laughing. Ha! Thorfi, would you believe it? The little troll has to pee, of course. Gunny, would you take her outside and show her where the latrine is? As Gunhild and Yadith went outside, Kettle was still laughing.
When Gunhild awoke and got out of bed, she found her mother up already. She was stoking the cooking fire and asked Gunhild to get some water from the creek. And take the girl with you, Thorvi added. Gunhild went to where Eadith was curled up in a ball on the floor, the blanket wrapped around her. Gunhild touched her shoulder, and Eadith woke with a start, which made Gunhild flinch. She watched as Eadith's big eyes glanced quickly around the house, then came to rest on her, and waited. Gunhild held out a bucket to her. Come, she said, and stood up. Eadith took the bucket and stood, and followed obediently out the door and to the creek. Gunhild's steps were lighter on the walk past the barley fields and down to the creek. The sun was up and the weather was perfect. The smell of fresh dew on the pasture filled her nose. Most of all, her father was home, and now everything would be better. Everything would be easier for her mother. Rolf would be happier. Her father was excited about improvements to the farm. It felt like a weight had lifted. As she walked, she got lost in thinking of the wonderful things to come. Besides, she had so much to tell her father about. The calving, and Freudus, and Osbjorn, and sailing, and the lyre player. They reached the creek, and Gunhild dipped her bucket in and watched as Eadith copied her. Gunhild pointed to the creek and said, in Danish, Creek. Then she pointed to the water in the bucket and said, Water. Eadith didn't react, but looked back down at the ground again, and as Gunhild walked back to the house, Eadith kept her eyes on the ground and followed in silence. How would she know that I meant water and not bucket? Gunhild wondered. What does English even sound like? She wished she could ask the girl walking behind her, but Yadith seemed so closed off, so lost, that it seemed impossible. I suppose she's scared, thought Gunhild. I would be. All that morning, Yadith followed behind Gunhild, doing whatever chores she was assigned passively and with no reaction, until they got to the cows. When they entered the barn with the milking bucket, Yadith's eyes grew wide and she took a step back. "'Haven't you seen cows before?' asked Gunhild. Yadith didn't speak, but took a deep breath and walked into the barn, giving the cows plenty of space as she moved around to the side. "'You can't stay over there,' said Gunhild. "'Come here.' She set the stool down by one cow and placed the bucket down, and began to milk. Yadith watched. When Gunhild was done with one cow, she moved to the next, and motioned to Yadith to sit on the milking stool. Yadith looked terrified. She came anyway, and sat where she was supposed to, but when she reached out for the udder, Gunhild could see that her hands were shaking. She did try milking, but didn't get much. Gunhild left her to it, and was able to milk all of the other cows by the time Yadith was done. Gunhild wondered if leaving the barn would make Yadith feel any better, but if it did, it didn't show. Yadith simply returned to her blank, downcast stare. That afternoon, Gunhild rested after her chores. She lay on her bed, and Yadith sat silently on the floor. Aunt Inga had dozed off sitting on her spinning stool, her head resting against the wall in back of her, with her eyes closed and her mouth open slightly. It felt odd to Gunhild to sit next to someone and not chat or tell stories, but she didn't know what to do with Yadith. The girl was clearly upset and scared, but Gunhild couldn't even comfort her. She wished she could, of course. She hated seeing anyone miserable. You'll be okay here, she thought. You'll like it. You just have to get used to it. The work isn't that hard. I guess you miss your family. She looked around the room and saw a comb and looked back at Yadith's hair. It was a mess, not having been combed since she left England. 
Gunhild loved it when her mother combed her hair, so she picked up the comb and sat down next to Yath. "'May I comb your hair?' she asked, holding up the comb. Yadith looked at the comb and reached for it. "'No, I'll comb your hair,' said Gunhild, moving slightly behind Yadith and reaching for a handful of hair. Yadith stayed still, and Gunhild began to comb. Many knots had developed, and she switched back and forth from the comb to her fingers to work the knots out gently. She was making good progress, and she began to think of other fun they could have. Gunhild didn't get to spend much time with girls her age, and she wondered whether Yadith might enjoy sewing or weaving with her, too. Then she noticed a small sob from in front of her. She realized Yadith was crying, but trying to stifle it. "'Are you okay?' she asked, placing a hand on Yadith's shoulder. She moved around to look at Yadith's face. "'Did I pull too hard?' Yadith shook her head, but Gunhild couldn't tell if that meant, "'No, I'm not okay,' or "'No, you didn't pull too hard.' Maybe it meant something else altogether." Then Yadith reached up and put her hand on Gunhild's, and Gunhild thought she might just need some comfort. Just then, Thorvi and Kettle walked in. They were in the middle of a heated conversation, and hadn't been planning on finding their daughter and their slave sitting on the floor together. "'Great Thor, now she's doing her hair,' said Thorvi. "'Gunhild, get up. You're not her handmaid.' "'I thought you would like the help,' said Kettle, continuing from where they had left off. "'You spend all day working.' We both do. Wouldn't you like someone else to shovel out the barn? Wouldn't you like to teach Gunhild how to weave while someone else grinds flour? Gunhild and Yadda both stood and moved near the wall, neither wanting to get in the middle of the argument. Gunhild's parents rarely argued, at least not in front of her, and it was uncomfortable, even scary. Sure, said Thorvi, but that's extra food for her. Extra clothes. Who's going to sew clothes for her? Do you even know that she can cook and clean, or do I have to teach her? Did you even think to ask that, or did you just like her pretty face? I couldn't exactly ask. I don't speak their language. Look, she'll learn. By the time the baby comes, she'll be able to cook and clean. Is that all you're planning for her? said Thorvi. Gunhild wondered if her parents remembered that other people were watching. Her mother was furious now, though Gunhild wasn't sure why. What else would she be good for? asked Kettle. Give her a couple years and she'll be a woman. You mean to tell me you're not thinking of fathering a couple extra children? Gunhild watched her father and saw how his momentary hesitation betrayed him. Extra slaves would be a good thing, said Kettle, though it was clear that he was trying to recover the upper hand. Her children will look after Gunhild's children one day. How selfless of you, shouted Thorvi. How noble that you would be willing to take an English concubine just to make my life easy. She pointed a finger at her husband. I know you, Kettle. You really think that when that girl has your baby inside, you'll tell her to haul water? This was a plan to get yourself an extra wife. Kettle was speechless. He looked around the room, at his daughter and his sister now watching him, and the girl he had brought home. Gunhild could see his skin flushed red. You think I care anything about her? said Kettle. She's nothing to me. He looked over to Yadith, and with a few quick steps grabbed her by the arm and dragged her before Thorvi. She's nothing, he said again, then slapped Yadith across the face. Gunhild winced. Yadith spun and collapsed to the floor. Gunhild thought for a moment that her mother would yell at her father or run to Yadith's side, but she didn't. Instead, her eyes still locked on her husband, Thorvi began to cry and tried to walk past him out of the house. He caught her in a hug as she tried to get by. She fought it half-heartedly, 
then gave in and cried against his shoulder. Yadith stood and quickly left the house. Gunhild looked at Aunt Inga, whose face didn't give anything away. He's her brother, thought Gunhild. Does that mean she's on his side? Gunhild began to leave, too, but her mother's voice stopped her. To be clear, said Thorvi, sniffing back her tears, that girl is not your friend. She's not your playmate. Teach her to do the chores and leave her alone. Gunhild nodded silently, then walked out. The mood at dinner that night was still tense, though Thorby had insisted that Yadith wait outside during dinner. The family discussed Kettle's plans for the farm. He had arranged with a seller in Ripa, as he had come through, to have two horses ready for him when he returned in a week, paid for half in advance and half on delivery. He and Inga would walk to Ripa in a few days and bring the horses back. He also had paid in advance for five yearling heifers to be delivered in the spring. They would need a bigger barn by then. If I can hire a carpenter and Ripa to come with us, we can build the barn before the harvest, Kettle told them. Talk turned to what Gunhild and Rolf had done while he had been away, but Gunhild found herself disinclined to chat. She quickly finished her food, then took a bowl of leftovers outside for Yadith. It was dark by then, and there wasn't much to do except go to bed. She washed her hands and face, and took off her woolen overdress. "'Would you like a story, little cat?' asked her father, bringing a stool over to her bedside. "'Sure,' said Gunhild. "'Tell about Sigmund and the wolf,' said Rolf from his bed. "'I have a story in mind for tonight,' said Kettle. "'Have you heard the story of the god Rig?' Her father settled into storytelling mode, taking a deep breath and sinking his weight onto the stool. "'The god Rig is the ancestor of the Danes. In fact, his grandson was the first king of the Danes.' One evening, Rig was walking and came to an old broken-down house. There lived a man named Great-Grandfather and his wife, Great-Grandmother. They asked him in, as the rules of hospitality demanded, but they had little to offer. They were poor and gave him thin soup for dinner. He spent the night at their house, and nine months later, Great-Grandmother gave birth to a boy named Slave, who was short and dark in color and ugly. Here Kettle made a face at Rolf, who laughed. He married a woman named Handmaid, who was as short and dark and ugly as he was, and their children became the slaves of the world. The next day, Rig came to another house, a well-kept farm, where a man named Grandfather and a woman named Grandmother tended the fields. They invited Rig to eat with them and spend the night, and he did, and nine months later Grandmother gave birth to a boy. He was a bright, clever boy with red hair and pleasant features. They named him Freeman and when he grew up, he married a woman named Daughter-in-Law. From them come the farmers, and the craftsmen, and the smiths of the world. Where did he find a wife if there weren't other people around? asked Gunhild. Oh, there were other people too. Just listen, you'll see. So Rig went out again, and this time came to a great hall. Torches burned, and a boar roasted over a spit above a giant hearth in the middle of the room. Iron swords hung from the walls, there lived a man named Father, and a woman named Mother. They feasted Rig as befits a nobleman, with roast pork and cup after cup of mead. Once again, he left in the morning, and nine months later, Mother gave birth to a son named Jarl. He had fair skin and beautiful golden hair. He learned how to hunt, 
and go falconing, and how to fight with sword and shield and ride a horse. When he grew up, the god Rig returned to claim him as his own, and teach him runes and the stories of the gods. Rig told his son Jarl to gather warriors and seek conquest, and eventually Jarl owned eighteen homesteads. He married a woman named Erna, and she bore him twelve sons. They and their descendants became the noblemen of the world, men of great riches, who ruled over others and found fame in battle. The bravest and most clever of their sons was named Khan. Khan was truly blessed with amazing abilities. He could tame fire. Here Kettle waved his hands through the air with a whoosh, as if shaping flames in a ball. And speak to the birds. And Kettle turned his hands into a flapping bird and whistled in imitation of its voice. One day Khan was out hunting when a crow came and spoke to him. "'Why do you hunt animals of the forest?' said the crow, "'when you could gain glory in battle against foemen. "'Seek the hall of Damp, for he has great wealth.' So Khan assembled his men and went to find the hall the crow spoke of. "'Isn't it stealing to take someone's riches from him by force?' asked Gunhild. She felt odd asking it, but realized that she had been wanting to ask it even before the story ever since her father had got home. Stealing is when a thief takes something by stealth and trickery. Marching bravely to war is not theft, said her father. When Khan arrived at Damp's hall, however, he fell in love with Damp's daughter, Dana. Instead of attacking, he married her, and their son, Dan, became the first king of the Danes. And that, my dear children, is where the noblemen, the freemen, and the slaves of this world come from. Uncle Ivar said that there's nothing worse for a brave free person than to be a slave, said Gunhild. Certainly, said Kettle, for any of us to be a slave would be intolerable. But you see, some people were meant to be slaves. He stood up and stretched. Good night, my love, he said. May all the gods bless you and bring you soft sleep and gentle dreams. With this he blew out the lamp, and the room was left only with the glowing coals of the hearth as he made his way to his own bed.